It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello, you're still buzzing. I am. After our live show on yes. the uh, South Bank on. So, I mean, what, what a show it was, too. It was good. It was. It had all the elements. It did. You'll be able to hear it. Uh, we'll release it in the summer. Um, but if you came, thank you for coming. It had everything. It had crowd Ner- surfing. Nerdery. Nerdery. Uh, Joviality. Nish Kumar was on. He was yeah. talking fat about burgery. His, his fat burg. You also got to live out a dream of being a game show yeah. host. Yeah. I don't know if that bit will make it into the final cut of the podcast, but basically... Oh, a lot. <laughs> It's it's for it's for legal reasons, uh, copy well, copyright yeah, reasons. I'm really intrigued. Um, but it was it was basically sort of along the lines of who wants to be a millionaire. You were in the host chair, and I really feel you knocked it out of the park. Ed. Oh, that's nice. I, I wish I could say the same about you as a contestant. <laughs> this is it. You try to be nice. Sorry. And you can expect all that, or at least some of that, and more at any reasons to be cheerful live show. And we're and doing we've got a, another one. Yeah, and it's it's the last one before the summer as yeah. well. It's your last chance to see us before the, the summer break. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be in Clapham in London at the Clapham Grand on the 28th of July. Sunday, the 28th of July. I think it's, the show starts at 7. Um, tickets available. Please come along. We'll have fun frolics and uh, fajitas. Possibly not frolics. Or fajitas, but definitely fun. Why not frolics? I, d- I don't know. Do people really want to see us frolicking? Oh, you think frolicking? Two gentlemen in the prime of their right, life. okay. <laughs> frolicking on Beyond a stage. Beyond the prime yeah, of their yeah. life. Uh, but if, we'd love for you to come along. Um, and details of how to get tickets, you can find them in the description of this episode, or if you follow us on social media, at Cheerful Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or facebook.com stroke reasons to be cheerful podcast. We'll have all the details up there, and we would love for you to come along. The deets. The deets, yeah. Yeah. So, should we talk about what we're talking about? Mm. So, we're talking about electric vehicles and transport in the zero carbon age. And uh, I think this is a bit of a corker of a discussion because basically, I'm afraid it's an old story. Britain is a laggard. Uh, a laggard? Yeah. We're not doing so well on the old electric vehicle front. Norway, um, Pretty much 50% of their vehicles being sold are electric vehicles. In Britain, it's something like 2%. Um, now, Norway is a world leader, but we're going to be trying to understand how Norway's got like so far ahead. What what are they doing that we're not? Because Norway is justifiably a braggart. Indeed. A bra- the braggart and the laggard. Yes. Um, and uh, although they're kind of humble, aren't they quite no, it's famously sort of the national humble? Character. Yeah, 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 yeah. Humble braggart. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, how is Norway so far ahead? What should we be doing here? What's the sort of limits of, you know, vehicles and what else should we be doing? Because you can't just replace all petrol and diesel vehicles with electric vehicles. 
uh, for various reasons. You know, what can we do in terms of public transport? So we're going to get into all of that. Transport is the biggest source of emissions now in the UK. I think it's more than a quarter of emissions. So we've got to tackle this and we can create better lives for people, better air quality. Um, you know, that, that can make a real difference, better public transport. So I think there's a positive vision here that we can be talking about. And we are joined by comedian Sarah Keyworth, who has taken her show Pacific to the Edinburgh Festival, and she'll be here to pitch us some ideas, which could be reasons to be cheerful. Shall I tell you my reason to be cheerful? I'm quite excited about Please this. Please do, yeah. I have a sticker for you. What? In fact, I have a reasons to be cheerful sticker. Beautiful. This says uh, it's, it's reasons to be cheerful in a lovely kind of... 70s-ish font um, and then there's an American phone number and it says West Concord, Massachusetts Would you like to wear your sticker? Yeah, I'll put it on now It's like a big old sticker that you'd get from the dentist from uh, when you were a kid Yeah, sticking it on now I'm going to put my sticker on what what are these? Because this is so not, there's a story, this is another reasons to be cheerful. There's a story behind this tale, which is this is an ice cream shop in Con- West Concord, Massachusetts, and the reason I got given it is because I was hosting an event for a charity called Home Base, which works with military veterans, provides mental health services to military veterans. It's part funded by the Boston Red Sox Foundation. And I was hosting this event at the House of Commons. And the reason that this is all happening this week is because the Boston Red Sox are playing the New York Yankees in a Major League Baseball game, the first we played uh, in Britain this Saturday and indeed Sunday. Uh, And uh, it's all really exciting. And it was a really worthy um, cause uh, to be be hosting these. It's quite an amazing charity that works with military veterans who've got mental health problems or brain injuries. And, um, you know, there's a quite shocking fact which I learned, which is that since 9-11, 100,000 military veterans or people currently serving in the military in the US have committed suicide. 100,000. And that is double the rate, apparently, that you would expect for the sort of population as a whole. And so this charity is about providing the kind of support to um to military veterans in terms of their mental health in particular their mental health uh which maybe they they haven't been getting well that's, that sounds like a wonderful cause and will you be getting to go to the game i am getting to go to the game and i'm really excited about it you're gonna paint your face oh am i paint your face why not is that a baseball thing i think so isn't it i mean mm. i'm not, not a sports aficionado you know better than i do mm, I'll, I'll take that under advisement uh, what about you? What's your reason to be cheerful, apart I'm, from my badge? I'm going to give another uh, another uh, pop culture recommendation. After my last one did so well, I keep getting tweets from people saying how much they're enjoying Atomic yes, Hobo yes, yes. Uh, podcast yes. um, about the nuclear bomb. So well, I'm, you are a sort of you know pop culture icon influencer. That's me. That's me. You? Influencer. That's me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been watching. I mean, it's, this isn't an obscure thing that I've unearthed. It's on BBC One. Gentleman Jack. Have you seen it? No. So it's by Sally Wainwright, who is the creator of Happy Valley. I thought you were going to say, like, News at 10. (laughs) Yeah, there's this great thing. It's called The News. They just ask people about what's been going on. It's so good. Um, No, it's it's Sally Wainwright. You may be aware of her, but she's uh, one of our finest writers. And she has written uh, a, a drama for BBC One, but it's sort of like, it's a period drama, which I don't usually enjoy. But stylistically, it's so good. It's about this woman called 
Anne Lister, who is a, an industrialist in the Halifax area, who is also um, thought of to be the first modern lesbian. And she kept quite extensive diaries, some of which were in code because of the time she was living in. And Sally Wainwright has adapted these into a story. Uh, it, it stars Saran Jones, who uh, people will know from Dr. Foster and Coronation Street. And it is just brilliant. To have me watching a period drama is is... I mean, I can't be doing with it usually. I don't like watching things where in, in an era where there aren't telephones and cars, but this is so good. It's funny. It rattles along really nicely, and I can't recommend it highly enough. Sounds great. Reasons to be Cheerful, a podcast about ideas with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're joined now from Norway by Christina Boo, who is Secretary General of the Norwegian Electric Vehicle Association, EV Norway. World beaters, Christina Boo, hello. Hello. Um, So incredible numbers uh, in March. Fully electric vehicles accounted for more than half of car sales in Norway for the first time. Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about that and how, how you got there and how it compares to other countries? Yeah, well, uh, Norway is is on the top when we look at the share of uh, vehicles sold that are electric. Um, it's uh, it's happened pretty fast, really. Um, back in 2012, the market share was three percent, already higher than what it is in the UK right now. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you went from three percent from three percent to over fifty percent in in yeah. seven years. Yes, so that's that's actually what I think is probably the most interesting to learn from the Norwegian experience is that things can happen and change really fast, and it has. Uh, so yeah, close to fifty percent uh, of new car sales, passenger car sales, this year so far this year are are fully electric cars. And in March, as you said, we had a record numbers. Uh, at that time, it was close to 60% March only. But uh, it's also quite impressive that it's uh, 45% so far this year in, in total, which means that almost uh, half uh, half of new car buyers choose a full electric uh, car today. And how has this happened? I mean, what has the government done? What has happened culturally in Norway to see this massive shift? Yeah, um, first of all, I, I want to stress that Norwegians are not very different from, you know, uh, other European <laughs> inhabitants, really. We, we're not more environmentally friendly or more, it's, it's not, that's not the case. What is really the difference here is that we've had politicians that have um, been working uh, and, and been willing to, to, to make the necessary measures uh, or, or introduce the necessary measures to, to make this, uh, to, to make this happen. And it is uh, really very simple. Uh, in UK, in Germany, in most other European countries, or all really, buying an electric car is still a lot more expensive than buying a petrol diesel uh, engine car, or an ICE car, internal combustion engine car. And in Norway, it's more or less the same price. And how did we do this? Well, we tax the purchase of cars. So buying a car that pollutes costs a lot of money and we don't tax electric cars. So we tax what we don't want and we promote what we want. And that is working. But you need to be very, very green to pay up thousands of (laughs) pounds extra for a car with a new technology that you even might be a little bit unsure of. 
just to get a sense of the balance of, of the incentives, the sticks and the carrots, if you like. In Britain, if you buy an electric car, you get a grant of £3,500 towards the cost. What's the equivalent in Norway of the incentive? And what's the kind of stick, if you like? It's a bit difficult to answer because, as I said, we tax cars when you buy them and that tax differs. Uh, so the tax is higher the more the car pollutes. Just look at the VAT, which is 25%. You already see that it's quite a big sum that you don't have to pay if you choose an EV. But the fact is that they're still more or less the same price. It's not like it's a lot cheaper than buying a petrol car, but it's more or less the same price. It's the same price up front and then it's cheaper to run, obviously, an electric car, yeah? It's definitely cheaper to run, cheaper to maintain. We also have quite a few local incentives as well, which is also political. Access to bus lanes, which is mostly in the Oslo area where it's interesting, but also uh, cheaper public parking and also lower tolls, uh, which you have to pay coming into most of the bigger cities in Norway and also on main highways. And a lot of those incentives, the tax exemptions, etc., has been in place for many years already since the early 1990s. So what made the difference for, from the 3% to the, you know, getting on for 50%? Was that such a dramatic shift? Was it the increasing the taxes on the uh, internal combustion cars? No, uh, there were there were suddenly there were more cars to buy. Uh, there were no, not really any electric cars that were produced in, in big numbers. There were not many options. But in uh, 2011, end of 2011, they started delivering the Nissan Leaf, which, which was maybe the first sort of real car that we were that was electric. And then the Tesla came. And then today we have uh, a wider and wider variety of of cars that, that are electric. You have this target in Norway uh, that 100 percent of new cars will be zero emission by 2025. Um what else, in addition to what you've talked about, what else needs to be done to get to that number? Well, we need even a wider variety of cars uh, on the market, and this will happen. But in addition to this, we need, um, and we are already focusing on getting the charging infrastructure up and running. There have been some people who've said that one of the downsides of your success in relation to electric vehicles has been that people using public transport have fallen and that some people have bought electric vehicles who wouldn't necessarily have had cars uh, if it hadn't been for EVs. Do, do, do you feel that any of that criticism is valid? And not at all, actually. There's no data supporting that. Of course, there's been a, people have been afraid that that might happen. But I mean, buying a car, although it's electric, is still expensive. And if you look at the biggest cities in Norway, Oslo, Bergen, Trondheim, um, they all have managed to stabilize the, the growth of cars. It's, it hasn't been a growth the last few years, but they have also managed to increase the share of electric cars. I mean, it is possible to do two things at the same time, and you will not be able to cut emissions. You can stabilize it by not getting more cars on the road. But you also have to change the cars and the vehicles that we, we use if we are to reduce emissions. It, it would be great if you could come and uh, 
emigrate to here and tell us what to do. But <laughs> but if you're not going to emigrate uh, immediately, what lessons should the UK learn from from what, what you've done in Norway? What's lacking and what's really going to work is to to start uh, using harder political measures because we don't have much time. Yeah. We have to reduce emissions and, and CO2 emissions, especially as fast as possible. And so you can't wait around and just wait for the technology to sort of solve the problem. You also need political measures to, to introduce this technology and help the shift happen as fast as possible. And to do that, it's really simple. Start taxing the most polluting cars at least. Start taxing what you don't want and on the price tag. And then start promoting what we want. That's that's how simple it is. And what we want is cars that can run on renewable fuels, that it has that possibility. And of course, at the same time, we need to focus on the grid and make the the energy that we use as clean as possible as well. You know, we can't wait till we have 100% renewable electricity production in the world before we start changing our vehicles or our products that run on this energy. We need to do both uh, at the same time. Let me ask you this question. The UK is only planning to get rid of new petrol and diesel cars at the moment by 2040. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, indeed, it is it kind of makes one chuckle. <laughs> uh, um, and you're do- doing that in 2025. Um, th- there's a sort of thing that I feel like is a is a missing uh, sort of link that we haven't understood here, which is that by the mid 2020s, the lifetime cost of electric vehicles will be the same as the lifetime cost of petrol and diesel vehicles. So it doesn't really make economic sense. But I guess the upfront cost of electric cars will still be greater unless unless you tax petrol and diesel vehicles. Has Norway found a way to sort of take advantage of the fact that the lifetime costs are less to help the consumer to switch, if you see what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um, The reason why I laugh a little bit is, I mean, I think it's good that that you have a goal. A goal is good, but um, in my opinion, it's it's not really a goal. I don't think really anyone will produce, uh, you know, petrol and diesel engine cars in twenty forty. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not so. It's not really a goal. But of course, it's better to have a goal than yeah. no goal. And but of course, the most important is also to 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 have measures to make it happen. And that's that's maybe the most important. But yes, um, these cars will be. Also, sooner than most people understand, it will they will also get, be cheaper to produce as well. Um, probably mid twenties, uh, not just uh, the the lifetime cost, but also on on the price tag. How will you get the uh, existing cars off the roads? The existing petrol and diesel cars that are that that, that are already sort of there, if you like. Yeah, and that that is what's going to take time. That's why we need to focus so much on getting the share of new car sales uh, up as soon as possible on electricity. Because the cars that we buy, they're on the road for a long time. And that's why Norway has this goal of 100% new cars uh, should be electric in 2025. And that's, that's the goal. And the fact is that when this goal was decided in Parliament, a lot of people are saying this is totally un- unrealistic. It's already a couple of, I don't know, three years ago or, so, or three or four years ago. But today everyone sees that this is definitely not the problem. We, we're going to we're gonna reach this goal. 
This is incredible. Thank you so much for telling us about the situation in Norway. I'm sitting here thinking, if we have to have Brexit, can't we just form a merger with Norway? That's a good idea. (laughs) That would be nice. Christina, that was so inspiring. Thank you so much for talking to us. Very nice talking to you guys. Now, to talk about the situation here in the UK and to learn perhaps from what we heard from Christina Boo, I'm delighted to say that we're joined in Jeff's house by Chitanya Kumar, who is Senior Policy Advisor at Green Alliance, and Gillian Annabelle, who's Professor of Transport and Energy at the University of Leeds. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, we've heard about the sort of Norwegian nirvana, if we can put it that way. Tell us a little bit about the situation in the UK. We've already had a hint that it's, it's not going so well, but talk, talk to us about the situation in the UK. Transport is now the largest source of greenhouse gases in the UK. It's quite a significant 27%, chunk. I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and cars are about 60% of that. So as a total stock of emissions, cars represent about 15% of our, our greenhouse gases. And so that's a significant chunk. We have about, what, 35-odd million cars on the street uh, in, in the UK at this stage. And majority of them are, are petrol or diesel vehicles. They're not electric. And we have about less than 1% of the total stock of vehicles as electric. And something that Gillian and I will try and talk about a little more is the differentiation between what are called plug-in hybrids and pure battery electric vehicles. And we want to see more pure battery electric vehicles, not plug-in hybrids. Uh, but so plug-in hybrid is a Prius, among other things? That's a, a hybrid. So there's, there's, a right, hybrid, there's a hybrid, there's a plug-in hybrid, and there's a battery electric. Battery With, electric is the best one. The battery electric is the best one. It's just... You plug it in and it charges and there's no engine that runs on petrol or diesel. Plug-in hybrid, as the name suggests, is you have a plug that you sort of put that in and you also have an engine for uh, petrol and diesel. So it's engine and a motor working together. Whereas your Prius is just the technology where you have regenerative braking, where it is a sort of gimmicky thing. It doesn't save a lot of carbon in that process. Unfortunately, in the UK, compared to European countries, we are putting a lot more plug-in hybrids than pure battery electric. And that means that essentially we're selling still a lot of fossil fuel vehicles. So when you hear the the, the reasons to be cheerful about how many electric vehicles are being sold in this country, up until recently, eight out of every 10 electric vehicle that was sold in the UK was a plug-in hybrid. The balance is getting better, um, but it really has been quite astonishing. Um, and in comparison to somewhere like Norway, where only about three out of 10 uh, electric vehicles are plug-in hybrid, that's that's one of the, the main contrasts. So why can't we do what Christina told us about and do the same in uh, the UK as they did in Norway? Well, there are a couple of major differences. Uh, One of the main differences in Norway is that for a very long time, they've had very high taxes on on the sale of new new vehicles. About 100% on top of the cost. Yeah, once you add the the VAT and the sort of purchase taxes that they put on, it's very expensive to buy a car in Norway. And we don't have that. No, we don't have that. We 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 do have VAT. We have VAT and we have recently had a little bit more front loading of of our um, vehicle excise duty, our annual circulation taxes on cars so so we're sort of changing it a little bit but nothing in comparison they haven't had to actually think about increasing taxation on on conventional vehicles in order to boost the sales of evs they've actually reduced the tax on evs in order to boost their sales and that and that's one of the ways they've managed to do it if you just look at the first quarter of 2019 France, Germany, Netherlands and Norway, sort of EU and EFTA, if you consider that, sold far more battery electric vehicles than us. 
Um, in fact, Germany came close to selling thrice the amount of vehicles that we sold, uh, battery electric again. We did much better than any other of these countries that I mentioned in the plug-in hybrid section. So right. the ratios have improved a bit, like Gillian mentioned, but we're still selling a lot more plug-in hybrids than battery electric. We've tried to shift that. In this country, we got something called plug-in grants, where you basically have three and a half thousand, three and a half thousand yeah. pounds for, which reduced yeah. from five thousand, by the way, to three and a half thousand for pure battery electric vehicles. And we've removed the subsidy altogether for plug-in hybrids. So, in some sense, you're giving a nudge, sort of signal, for people to buy more battery electric as opposed to plug-in. We're doing that, but we haven't seen that reflect in any significant way yet. But if we market. decided that we were going to you know, we've we've set this zero emissions goal. It's just gone through Parliament this week. Zero emissions by 2050. The Climate Change Committee have said we we've got to do a lot more in relation to transport, including moving forward the banning of petrol and diesel vehicles from 2040. If if we decided to really get our act together, there are things we could do, I and mean, we could move forward that 2040 date to 2030 or 2025, which Norway do is we doing. We should do that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. We could. We could uh, take VAT off electric vehicles, so to to give you extra subsidy on top of the three and a half thousand. That could be one way of doing. I mean, that's twenty percent off uh, the cost of an electric car. What are the other things that we could do? The target, as it stands, um, is for the fa- the the banning, if you like. Yeah. Well, they don't like to use the word ban, but anyway, of conventional vehicles in twenty forty. That leaves the door actually quite wide open for hybrids um, uh, as well as pure electric vehicles from 2040, right? So what we're actually... 21 years is too long away. 21 years away. Say, for instance, it won't happen this way, but just taking worst case we'll be scenario. Boris Johnson's say, for instance, in, <laughs> but say, for instance, in 2039, still 70% of the, the new cars that are sold in that, in that year are, are conventional vehicles. You know, they're going to be around until the, the 2060. But, so, but our Norwegian so, friend Christina was just chuckling. I mean, she just was laughing I mean, at us. It, yeah, she it, said it, it's it, a non-goal. I mean, it, she just thought it was just funny. No, it is. So, so A is the target. So it's not just moving the date forward. It's actually strengthening that target, saying um, it's the it's it's phasing out um, any cars with fossil fuels in them in any guise. Um, yeah. an, an earlier so, date. so an yeah. earlier date so, without loopholes. So, so that so that's yeah. the target. I am just going to say, though, because I, I know you asked me what to do, but yeah. I do just want to slightly caution. There are some issues around in terms of the supply of these vehicles. The question mark over whether we're going to be in the European vehicle regulations. If we're not, then the car companies are going to think, why do we want to sell electric vehicles into that market? They're not going to count towards our average CO2 emissions. So we could be dumped on big time well, if we so don't pay attention. Just on that dumping point, somebody said to me that that the, one of the issues that is going on is that they see us as the sort of laggards and therefore they're sort of saying, well, we can just cap, carry on selling our petrol and diesel yeah, vehicles so they're to already, Britain for, already doing that. forever. Yeah. You know, and they're, because that's where because they make their money at the moment. They're yeah. making their money from those vehicles and not even. And is there a threat? The other thing that when I raised this in the House of Commons, the minister sort of darkly muttered that it was a kind of issues for the car industry and the car industry was already in difficult enough situation. It, is this? I think Chitanya, you say it's going to be good for the car industry potentially. This this earlier move, absolutely. And what what we're talking about is we've we've got a manufacturing sector already in this country. Yeah. Yes, it might take a severe hit with Brexit. So that, yeah. that's a sort of dark yeah. horse there. If we 
do manage to sort of, you know, uh, weather the storm of Brexit yeah. properly, then we've got a sector, we've got a foundation that we can build on and we can actually do a lot more in terms of not just manufacturing the parts of yeah. actual car, assembling it, but also the batteries that go into these but cars. But would doing it earlier here make a difference to our chances of uh, sort of jobs in the car industry in the electric vehicle sector? Absolutely, yes, because... It, it, you will then force uh, a supply chain in this country and obviously right. from other parts of Europe to actually manufacture a lot more of these machines. And are the car yeah. industry very against doing this though? Some, some are, yeah. some aren't. So if you, you know, if you ask a, a, a Nissan that's making Nissan leave, it's probably interested in going more aggressive on it. If you ask if I can name Toyota, yeah. probably not. Right. Can I ask about, so, so in Norway, their energy is all renewable. It's, mm. it's fairly much Pretty all much, hydro yeah. powered. Mm-hmm. We don't have that. Um, so when you're charging an electric car here, it's f- largely fossil fuel generated electricity. Not largely, anyways. no. no we're, we've been up to 50% of our electricity generated by new renewables. And we've had many weeks uh, of late with no coal in our mix, for instance. So the actual, uh, what they call the CO2 intensity of our electricity is getting better and better all the time. And that will get better and better. So actually, the environmental footprint of, a, of an electric vehicle, it will only improve. It's not just about looking at what it is today, but it, what it will be in the future. But the, the life cycle emissions of a car, when you think about the tyres and the and the, the aluminium and all the other things in the car, um, there is more embedded emissions in an electric vehicle because of, of what it involves to make them. What about charging infrastructure? You know, we need more of it. There's no doubt about that. And someone was saying to me that you've got to make sure you have fast charge, that we, the danger is we in, install lots of dial-up, you know, the, the equivalent of dial-up, mm. sort of slow charging. Actually, the the... the sort of proportion of fast charges we need to slow charges is a matter of some debate and um, because we need the fast charges around on the long distance network for for people to get over some of their range anxiety and so on on the vehicles but actually a lot of the charging will take place at workplaces and at home right cars are stationary for 98 percent of their life right a third oh, of all cars don't go out on a, on any one given day. You know, they're just sitting there. Right. So there's there's a lot of slow trickle charge that can happen. And in actual fact, not only that, that there's a lot of actual potential for those cars to be charged when we've got extra energy and upload it to the grid when we when we need, uh, yeah. when, you know, when the wind's not blowing or whatever it might be. So there's there's lots and lots to think about there. It's not just about fast charge, slow charge. It's about where those charges need to be. Um, thinking about integration with the grid. And 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 also thinking about you know all those cars out there that don't have off street parking. I mean, think about just visualize streets where cars are parked on you know down the street on the pavement, double parked in driveways, up on the grass verges. How are we going to actually charge those cars? So there is a lot to think about on the range anxiety bit. That's quite a serious subject because a lot of people, if you walk into a showroom, the first question you want to ask is, you know, what's the range? Not because you will drive, you know, suddenly one morning and say, I'm driving to Aberdeen this morning. That That's sort of once in a year, once in two years. Opportunity. But you want to buy a car that can actually serve you for that purpose. And for that, you basically need charging across motorway service areas. And we don't have that kind of charging at this stage. Uh, the proposals that are being talked about is charging for every 50 miles. So you have, you know, the range anxiety is suppressed and you don't have to worry about it too much. 
Where where are the public at on electric cars? So range anxiety is is obviously a question people have. What are the other sort of obstacles? So you make it sound like that's a term you're very familiar with. I've never heard <laughs> range heard anxiety it? until the last three and a half minutes. I've never okay. heard laggards until 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> laggards was great. That was the Ed word of the week, are I think. Are you serious? Yeah, it's a good one, that. Um, but what, what, are, what, what are the other thing, the obstacles in people's minds around electric cars? Because it seems to me, I, I was sitting here at the beginning of this conversation not really understanding the difference between um, full electric car, charge yeah. and, and and, and battery yeah, hybrid and, and hybrid. So, yeah. you know, where where are we at, sort of, in public perception in this country, and what 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 could we be doing better? Well, it's growing in leaps and bounds from a very small base, and that and that's reflected in the figures. So, although the sales of EVs are at sm- very small numbers, they are growing at a huge rate every year. Yeah, doubling, you know, every few months in terms of the numbers, and 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 that is that is following perception. But there is confusion. Uh, between the different technologies there's uh, an idea that they're still only around you can only go about 50 miles on the on the battery the range, which isn't, range which, anxiety, is, which, course, isn't yeah, which isn't true course, yeah. it's the, you know most of most cars that are, that are sold into the market what is it about 150 180 mile range mm-hmm. on on average um but you know, consumers have been bitten by some misinformation or getting cars and not getting the miles per gallon out of it they want. They, they've got the same concerns about, you know, what, you know am I going to actually get that range? The other side actually is an image thing. For a lot of people, the car that they buy has, says something about who they are. There is a huge segment of the population that actually really think that this is not what they want said about them. They're not they're not green. They're not this. They're not that. There's a lot of different types of obstacles, um, and and that means there's, that needs a lot of different types of policies to kind of overcome that. And and what what we're missing also is a training of the dealerships to actually sell these yes. electric vehicles in a yeah. manner that people understand that you know there's what are the benefits with it. We've seen cases where people have got dodgy adap- adapters from the market and trying to charge it from their three pin plug uh, in their walls. <laughs> That is not how you charge your electric vehicle. Okay, good to know. It is going to be damaging for your, you know, Mm -hmm. for the electric system in your house. So that sort of basic information that we in the energy sector might think, of course, people would know this, but obviously not. And dealerships and those who are actually selling those cars to you are the ones, are the intermediaries between the automotive industry and the actual consumer. And they really need to understand how an electric car functions, what the benefits, what the range, all of that. And at this stage, we don't have that. Uh, I think we should sort of make the turn out out of cars uh, and into other transport because the truth is we can't simply replace all of our petrol and diesel vehicles with electric vehicles and meet the kind of carbon challenge that's absolutely that's absolutely right there is there's you know so many studies out there that are trying to look at the the climate change targets these net zero targets and uh and it, it doesn't matter how quickly you push on electric vehicles and really try and accelerate their uptake you can't do it quickly enough uh, to reduce the emissions that we need to reduce from the transport sector. So, and, and here I'm just talking about cars even as well. So what so, does that mean then, Julian? So it means that we've got to think about reducing car use and having some kind of net zero target around traffic growth, not just emissions, so that we're not thinking about this, what has been, you know, for many decades, it was a relentless growth in car use. Actually, in recent years, this is 10 to 15 year trend now. This is a trend. This isn't a blip. Um, we've seen a 
uh, marked slowing in the increase of car use. On average, per capita car use is not growing. Okay, and we need to make sure that that that's that that we keep it keep it that way. Young people, and exactly, young people are are and people like Jeff. Uh, and yeah, my generation. Like, I can't drive, and I think my Absolutely. generation compared to your generation. So, Ed, I mean, you're the voice of a generation. Yes. So we're yes. we're we're seeing we're seeing um, a, a shunning of ownership of cars at, at, in the younger cohorts, and that's following through um, by and large until they, you know, people mature, marry, have kids. I mean, there's some some uh, rebound, but nowhere near the same level of ownership and use that there was in 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 their uh, parents' generation. So we can really capitalise on that. And that's that. about redesigning towns and cities? It is. It's about redesigning cars. And, it, and it also an element of it is about making cars accessible to people without them having to own them. So when they need a car, because there's some journeys that, you know, uh, cars are excellent yeah. for, car really sharing. good for. What the studies show with car sharing, again, still at a very low base in this country, but the studies show that when people have access to a car share, they actually use a car much, much less than they would do normally and use other forms of transport much, much more because the, the cost to them is transparent. They can make sensible decisions based on the journey they're doing. And we need a lot more of that sort of thinking, this this kind of flexible approach to the modes that, that we have on offer. What's important to understand is a significant chunk of our car miles that we clock are for a very, very short distance, about five to ten miles. So if you can replace those car miles, I think the number is about 55%, which is, you know, more than half. If you replace those car miles with active walking and cycling and public transport, you are, you know, incentivizing people to get off those vehicles, scrap them, and then use public transport instead. And that needs to happen across across the country. And I think it comes back to what Ed and you brought up, Gillian, is we don't have a, a, a new vision for what our cities will look like. It Sounds fluffy, but it comes down to yeah. that. Like, how do we actually commute? Like, how long do we want to like commute three, four hours every day to get to work? You know, and spend so much yeah. energy and time and resources on that, or do we actually work closely? Do we work from home? These sort of very interesting and complex questions arise when you actually try and reimagine uh, how we work and how our cities operate and how transport functions within that. We don't have any any sort of body or anybody thinking about these questions. We have a thing on the podcast called the Jeffocracy, where I am a, a benign ruler, very hands off. So if I were to appoint you to joint ministers for transport uh, with regards to electric vehicles, what is the first thing, what is the first policy you would implement on day one? See, I'm not going to be able to answer this only with respect to electric vehicles. I'm sorry, um, because I do think we have to think about the transport system. Okay, so I'd I'd like to see a a um, uh, a target around traffic growth. So we have zero traffic growth. So we're talking about selling electric vehicles into a fleet that we don't see the overall size of the fleet growing. That's a sort of main principle I'd like to see. In terms of a policy, I'd like to see something like a scrappage scheme for conventionally mm. fueled vehicles. But scrappage. you don't necessarily, like <laughs> you, you, you actually get much more bang for your buck if you swap that car in for something 
around mobility credits. So what you actually buy is a package of mobility, a bundle of services, so many, so many trips on a bus, train, uh, you know, new bikes, electric bikes, scooters, all that involved in what you could get instead of your car, rather than just thinking about it being a like-for-like swap from one vehicle to another. Would you get a car at all? Well, well, you you might, but it won't be such a good deal as getting as getting something, some other kinds kinds of mobility. So, so some scrappage for for public for mobility for for, for other forms of low carbon mobility. Jitanya, absolutely. I mean, can I just say those and uh, (laughs) it just makes my life so much easier. Well, that's a good cooperation. That's that's what you know. Good good joint ministership. Exactly. Sort of. It's it's not day one. Maybe a hundred day package. Yeah, yeah, hundred days. That'll do. Yeah, yeah. So if if you're doing that, I suppose my concern would be looking at right now who's buying the electric cars. They're the affluent, the rich, because they can afford them. Uh, so if you do have a system where you have scrappage and you also have mobility credits that you're offering to people, and there's still a segment of the population that still needs a car for a variety yes. of reasons, how do you ensure that those are electric at this stage? And right now, we don't have a system where we reduce the upfront cost of these vehicles for the lower and middle income households in the UK. And one thing I would try and bring up is what California does, a rebate mechanism that is very targeted and means tested for a very specific demographic of the population. So this is a £3,500 current uh, grant, but but targeted. Very targeted and slightly raised as well. So it's not just three and a half that everybody benefits. Because right now, the challenge there is companies know that these rebate exist, three and a half grand, and they can factor that in, in the price of the car. The car might be 20K, you're actually selling it for 23. Yeah. And then using the rebate as well. I think they've got the job. I think so. Chitanya and Gillian, thank you so much thank for joining. You. Thank you. So what did you think? As ever, you know, if we ever have any um, uh, anything from a Nordic country, I get very excited yes. by that. What they've done in Norway is extraordinary. I do understand it's not quite uh, the same thing here. But one of the things that struck me is just how little we know. I mean, I guess less so you because you've worked in um, in, the, in the environment department um but you know some of the stuff between the difference between um battery charge cars and battery hybrid and hybrid i I didn't have a clue about i thought if people were driving a prius they were doing you know oh good for them so i think there's a lot that the the public need to wrap their head around really it feels like such a no-brainer this though yeah it feels like it's all about does government get with the program and really sort of take this kind of idea and this vision up or does it just sort of get gradually dragged along, you know, reluctantly late to to do it? And we'll just lose out as a country and we won't achieve what we need to achieve. And and so, you know, we just got to get going on this. I, I it really, I feel fired up, ready to be plugged in. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook or tweet at cheerfulpodcast. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com.
And here are some ideas which could be potential reasons to be cheerful. Comedian Sarah Keyworth, hello. 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 Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thanks thanks for coming on. We were just, um, before we switched the microphones on, we were having the dog conversation because, Ed, you are deliberating. Yes. And Sarah's been recommending borrowmydoggy.com. Yes. I'm just going on there now. It's a great website. It's a bit like Tinder, but for dogs. Is this just people who don't want to pay for dog walkers? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's people who love dogs so much but can't have them for whatever reason that they're sad enough to look after a dog for free but is it is it difficult giving the dog back yeah it's quite sad now you mention it sorry i feel like you're the atmosphere <laughs> by bringing up the sadness of having to give the dogs back sarah before we ask you about your ideas you have a new show that you're taking up to edinburgh what's it I called am. what's what are you thinking about this year it's called pacific i didn't know what it was going to be about and it's not really about anything sp- specific and my dad hates it when people say Pacific instead of specific. And do, so do you I've do named that? my show to annoy my father. <laughs> my show is kind of about strength and, and masculinity and how I like to think I'm a big, strong boy. But I'm not. I'm a small woman. That's what, my, that's what I've written about. Well, yeah, we'd be interested in a show about masculinity. Yeah, we? neither of us consider ourselves no. big, strong boys. No, we well, then it's the show for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it really uh, is. It's a show for men who don't feel strong enough. Uh, so you brought some ideas with you, Sarah. What's I the, have. What's the yeah. first one? I think there should be dedicated centres across the UK in every single city that are just for joy. Joy centres. Joy centres. And they have different rooms. So there'll be like a, a poppy room or like a quiet room or a room where like you, somebody can be assigned to you and they just agree with everything you say. Or like a room where you can sit and eat and nobody comments on the food you're eating. Just that's, you know, the whole time. Just just nice little rooms where you can go and feel happy. So some of them are judgment-free zones. Judgment-free zones. Some of them are devoted to the tactile pleasure of petting a puppy. Yep, they're full of puppies. What would what what room would you like in those? I think a judgment-free puppy room would suit suit me very well, especially if nobody was judging what I was eating. Yeah, I think I'd like a pool room. Are we talking pool the game? Pool or... the game, right? That would be a, a pub, wouldn't it? Yeah, those exist. Could you not convert one of your kitchens into a pool room? Yeah, maybe that's a good idea. So my pool room is out of bounds. I'm getting the sense. No, you're, you're allowed. You can do it. Like it's you know, just. I just thought you know you can have any room you want. Pool room is. You're saying there's a lack of imagination to Ed's room. Is no, what, what I'm saying is there, there would be a room where nobody judges you, but this is not that room and I'm judging you. Right right, okay. yeah. What your pool room is reminding me of is, do you remember when Prince Harry as a teenager went a bit wild and there was a tabloid scandal? Yeah. Yeah. And then Prince Charles, to, to try and give him an outlet, but without letting him go out to pubs and clubs, he built him his own little pub at Highgrove called Club H as in Harry's Club. Are you serious? And yeah, that was, that was reported in the newspapers at the time. And I see your pool room as being little like, like Club Ed. To like stop Club me going, Ed, but stop Club me, Ed. That's good. Stop me going sort of haywire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you humouring me still? Just say, I know. Yeah, yeah a little, right. bit, little bit. But I thought really. so, fine. Yeah. Definitely. As long as there can be yeah. pool. It's one thing there's not going to be, right? <laughs> Sarah, what do you have next? Uh, I think you should be able to break up with... Friends. Oh, interesting. Have you ever broken up with a friend? No, because you can't. So you mean you can break up with somebody you're romantically involved with, but not really with a friend? Yeah, you can end a a, a romantic relationship, but I think you should be able to pull a mate into like a coffee shop and be like, listen, 
this has been a it's been a lovely experience and I feel like I've grown a lot but it's it's not working you can only do that implicitly can't you yeah you have to phase them out yeah mm. you can't just sit down and go listen we're very different you know we we met when we were young we've grown apart we have and it's have just I that? don't like you anymore no because I'm quite afraid yeah. of any kind of confrontation yeah, yeah yeah and also it's just not a socially acceptable no, thing but I've do. also stayed in romantic relationships too long because I've wanted to avoid that conversation yes I'm not sure that I would want to sort of add it into my friendships I think just a slow ghosting would be my uh but slow ghostings never work because if I think if you're the kind of I am also the kind of, I'm scared of confrontation and I don't like letting people down. So I'm just also the kind of, if somebody messages me and says, hey, I haven't seen you in ages, we should do something, I will always just go and see them. Really? Slow ghosting is better. Because what I say is, definitely, I'd love that. Um, let's sort out, I've got a few uh, things that I need to work out, but I'll, uh, I'll get back to you with some dates and then I hope that I don't hear from them again. Has he ever said that to you? Oh, right? I see. I was going to say, that's what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I see. Yeah. Well, that's revelatory. Um, all right, Sarah, what, what else do you have? Well, all right, my next one. And I don't know how much you'll be able to relate to me with this one. Okay. But I don't think that anybody should have to leave their house. I'd really like this. Wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whilst on their period. Right. Definitely. So, so I'm not I'm not a menstruator. Okay. Um, from experience of, of watching uh, co- commercials for sanitary products, what they like to be able to sell is that your your period should allow you to carry on with life as normal, riding a bicycle. Oh, but those, beach, those women volleyball. in those adverts, they're not menstruating. Right. No, they're actors pretending to menstruate. And it's so unrealistic. They're all in their short shorts at discos. That's what they call them, discos. That's what we call and, them. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's not real. They're dancing around. And it's just, it's not, it's not fair. So what do you want to be they doing? They sold then? you a lie, guys. So what, what do you want to be doing then? I just, I want to be alone, uh, sat down with nobody expecting anything of me. That's what that's what I Sounds want. Sounds reasonable to me. That Absolutely. would make the world a more cheerful place, I think. Definitely. Just selling it. I mean, you can't. It's hard for you to comment. It's hard for us to comment. You've got uh, no idea. Part to agree. Do yeah. uh, are any uh, partners or flatmates or family members are they uh, obliged to leave the house? They find uh, alternative accommodation for the duration of your period. Um, well, my problem is I have a girlfriend and I also live with two other women so what has unfortunately happened is that we've all synchronized that has happened and so I suppose what in an ideal world we'd quarantine the house we'd take no visitors you're thinking like when people have pest control and they yes the huge absolutely things over, yeah, right? yeah, yeah yeah but it should be sort of an official uh, government issued one uh, that everybody you look at the house and you go oh there's several women on their period in there you should just be able to say i'm not coming into work i'm i'm not going to that social occasion i i have no interest in seeing my mother-in-law <laughs> i'm saying have you got a mother-in-law well, I, I have the mother of my girlfriend, who is actually the most wonderful woman I've ever met. And you'd met be happy life. to see her. I'd love to see her because right. she'd look after but me. But in she general, actually, yeah. But well, you just shouldn't. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't feel obliged to do anything. I feel we we are not positioned to have any other opinion than apart positive. from uh, we agree with everything yeah, you say, exactly, which yeah. is uh, part of the other thing I said about sitting in a room where everyone just agrees with you. Yes. And I can tell you, based on what has just happened, 
it feels lovely. This is your joy room, sir. This is my joy room. Yeah. Well, it's important, I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you have another idea. I think there should be an age limit on scooters. Oh, now you're not talking about Vespers and Piaggios. You're no, talking about I'm those talking little micro scooters. scooters. And I think nobody over 16 years of age should be allowed a scooter. I, I definitely don't want to be on a scooter because it would have bad consequences. But do you see sometimes when you're dropping your lads off at school, yeah. do you see parents coming back or going to school on those little scooters? Not really. So I've seen that. That's electric yeah. scooters are big in France. They're not. They're not allowed here or something. Yeah, there's, there's something. I saw somebody there. on an electric scooter at Oxford Street. They're quite few and far yesterday, between. Yesterday, and they were dressed yeah. like a wizard, which was also what, problematic. What's your objection to the scooters for the adults? I just think you should walk. I don't. I don't. I don't like just grow up. <laughs> is what I think. Just sixteen years old, you can join the army. Hand over your scooter. It's done. It's over. That's what I. Uh, you know, I don't. Yeah, you see an adult on a scooter. It's t- it's I not. Really, I, don't, I mean, I'm not. I'm not the person to. You know. I'm Do you just, think you would fall off? Yes. I yeah. That's basically what I'm trying to say. I don't think they're that easy. No. How do you feel about grown-ups on skateboards, Sarah? Is it not in a way the same thing? Worse, I'd say. In in some ways, worse. In in other ways, at least there is a skill to a skateboard. Isn't there a skill to a scooter? No, there's no <laughs> skill. You hold oh, onto the handles. You now push. Now thinking, I might get one. There's no skills. You don't to have it. to have any skills to ride a scooter. You'd be surprised at my sort of basic yeah, lack of skills. Honestly, oh, really? I, yeah. I think, Sarah, you haven't really taken account of us on this. Yes. Because no? we, we, well, because we're quite unskilled, so mm. we think that riding a scooter was. You're, you'd be I impressed did, with a person on a scooter. I need 30 lessons. Yeah. <laughs> of course. You need, need a license. somebody with a like, you know, yeah. dual control from the scooter <laughs> to teach me, don't you think? Yeah. So if you see um, you know, an, an adult on a scooter, what goes through your mind? I just get really angry. But now I think, Midlife I think, crisis? Yeah. Midlife crisis. What are you playing at? Who are you doing this for? And then I, I, now I think about it, I might just be jealous. So what you're saying you is you would like a, a scooter in your joy room? I think maybe what I want is nobody else to have a scooter because I don't have one. There we go. We've gotten to the root of the problem. Well, if anyone is listening, we know what you want for Christmas. A scooter. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. that's what I guess that's my way to make the world a better place. Somebody buy me a scooter. We've worked yeah. through your issues. Yeah. Thank you. That is what our function is. It is. Sarah, thanks so much for joining well, us. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're in the outro. Oh, we're in do, the outro. Does uh, do the Boston Red Sox have a mascot? I think he's called Wally. And what does Wally look like? A Wally. <laughs> I think he's a Mrs. Wally as well. Could you be the man inside either Mr. or Mrs. Wally? I appreciate you kind of pushing me up in the world <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this way. Wally the Green Monster, because the Green Monster is the big fence in Fenway Park. Uh, there's Wally. Oh, he looks lovely. Okay, I, th- I think you do a great job of playing Wally. Imagine the crowds would go wild if you were inside Wally and then you took off the head to reveal Ed Miliband, podcaster and former leader of the Labour Party. <sighs> no, you're not into the idea. Well, I don't quite know. I'm sort of, I'm kind of wondering whether this is really sort of, kind of a, is it a kind of forehanded insult or a backhanded <laughs> insult? <laughs> I've told you before, I gave a very good performance inside a Mr. Blobby in the early 90s. This could be... I could give you some tips on how to do it. <laughs> Shall we thank our guests? I'd like to thank Christina Boot, Chitanya Kumar and Gillian Annabel. And thanks to Sarah Keyworth. Her new show is called Pacific. 
Emma Caution produces our podcast with backup and research from Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. James Deacon made the eye dents. Ed Seed composed the music. And the artwork was designed by Emily Powell. He's been a laggard. He has range anxiety. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.